are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. so glad that you're here today. We're going to be in Philippians 3 today, chapter 3 in Philippians, starting in verse 17. Uh, Just a reminder to all of you who consider this to be your home church, we're going to have a core meeting afterwards, uh, real briefly, just to go over a few things. We're in week four of a series that we call Set Apart, focusing on being God's own possession, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Uh, We should be a people that have a flavor that is different in most everything in our lives. And so, Uh, Last week we did work, this week we were going to flow into being set apart in rest, but there's been some kind of crazy things that have happened this week in the world, and so we bumped up the idea of being set apart in our citizenship today. Uh, Normally I don't try to be trendy, that's why I shop at Costco, but sometimes you have to listen to the world and try to teach what's going on in a biblical perspective. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians 3 today. And we'll start in verse 17. You can read it in your Bibles, on your phones. We'll have it on the screen as well. Paul writes this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and Lord, we just ask that you would just give us a posture of humility, that we would come underneath of it, that we would submit our lives and our hearts and our minds to your wisdom. And so, God, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would come and move in our lives in a way that you would bring us into greater submission and flourishing by your word. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. You know, it may be an odd encounter with somebody, if they came up to you and you said, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to imitate me. You need to act more like me. Now, context in that may be important, but you would be leery if somebody said, hey, you know what you need? You need to be more like me. And so when we read these words of Paul, we may feel like that's pretty arrogant for him to say that. And actually, that's kind of a critique of the Apostle Paul in his letters Uh, He's very confident in who he is and who he isn't, and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. But if we study and read Paul enough, we know that he's not narcissistic and he isn't ego-driven. None of that is the case. But what makes this idea of imitating Paul so interesting is that Paul is writing the letter to the church of Philippi from a Roman prison in Caesarea in the year AD 61 or AD 62. And so Paul says, imitate me 
as I'm in prison. Now, I don't know all of what's going on in your life, but I would assume that if you knew somebody in jail, there wouldn't be a second thought of you thinking, you know what, my life might be a little bit better if I were more like them. That probably wouldn't come into your brain. Now, there are many people who are falsely accused, I get that, but that wouldn't be an encouraging wisdom for you to do. And so Paul is in prison because of an event that we read about in the book of Acts in chapter 16. There is this slave girl that has been inhibited or inhabited, whatever word that is. She, there's a demon in her, and she's a fortune teller. She tells the future. And this slave girl, imagine first century Miss Cleo, right? That maybe if you know who Miss Cleo is, I applaud you. Nobody first service got that. Just imagine a fortune teller, a little less Jamaican, more Arabic, okay? So this woman sees Paul and Silas, and she begins to follow them around everywhere they go and shouting, these are the servants of the Most High God who teach the way of salvation, over and over and over again, she's repeating these things. And honestly, that's pretty cool if it was me. You know, like if you walked into a room and you had somebody following you, this is the servant of the Most High God, you'd be like, yes, this is great theme music. But Paul and Silas get annoyed. Not necessarily with what she is saying, but whom is saying it. Her witness is sort of disqualified and they don't want to be grouped in with the same people at this time. And so here's what they do. They're not rude to her. They just turn around and they say, in the name of Jesus, I command that demon to come out of you. And the demon leaves her on that day. That's, that's how they dealt with that problem. Pretty good way to deal with that problem. But here's what happens. The owner of that slave girl is irritated because he's lost income, because he's profiting from her ability to tell the future. Other people are coming in and he's using her for income. And so here's what he does. He takes Paul and Silas, and he takes them in front of the Roman magistrate, and he accuses them of starting an insurrection or a, a calamity within the marketplace, and that they are teaching customs that are unlawful, which isn't true. They're just ticked that they're losing money. But it didn't take much. This was sufficient for the Roman magistrate, who was exasperated with Paul and the rest of his friends because they won't shut up about Jesus. And so here's what they do. They rip their clothes off of Paul and Silas, and they beat them with rods and sticks, and then they throw them in jail, and they have to tell the jailer, keep them safe, because there's a crowd that is wanting to kill both Paul and Silas. Now, that is crazy. That's why Paul is in prison, because the owner's not happy with it. And then so Paul writes this, join in imitating me, <laughs> as he's in jail. That's pretty crazy. I want to come back to that in a moment. But not only does Paul say, imitate me, he says, imitate those who walk according to the example of the gospel of Christ. And so it's apparent in Paul's writing that there's a need for us Christians, believers in Christ, to have concrete examples that take the word as is written and spoken and, and show us how to live out those words in, 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 in our flesh concrete examples to show us how to live out scripture in action and words and, and in attitudes. I need examples in my life. I need mentors in my life that will teach me and show me how to faithfully live for the Lord. And so that's why we come to church. 
That's why we plug into communities so that we can see with our eyes as an example of what we read in our scripture and our brothers and sisters around us who are walking faithfully with the Lord. However, Paul, with much grief and tears in his eyes, speaks to the people in Philippi, saying that there are these people that seemingly were once faithful, but now are walking as enemies of the cross. These people that seem to be faithful, yet now they're walking in a manner that is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that case, in Philippi, it's a group of people who have a distinct view on humanity. They see people in two different realms, that there's a spirit and there's a body, and they have come to believe that if the spirit has accepted Christ and believe in it, then the body can do whatever it wants to do because it is the spirit that lives on forever. And so that would mean this, they would speak about Christ and his righteousness, but you would see very little effect of that in their life. They would just be doing what they want to do. And so this group of people is called the Gnostics. And Paul is grieved by them and what they're doing. There are people that he says whose end is destruction. There are people that are kind of do what I say, but don't look at how I live. Their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame, as the scripture says. And what that means is that it's not about you, and it's not about God. It's about them. Their God is themselves, and their pleasure, and their indulgences. And they are celebrating and reveling in things that they should be utterly shameful of because of the gospel of Christ. But they are so deluded and so power-hungry and so prideful that they cannot see the shame of their own actions and words. And then in this scripture, Paul does, as he so gracefully and gently does at times, he encourages his people, us, to persevere. And he does that by reminding us where our true home, our hope, and our true Lord lies. And it's not in this current world. It's in another kingdom, under another king. And so Paul says, remember your citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven, and we are awaiting the coming of the Savior to come here into this present world, and he is saying that we must remember our allegiance isn't here, it's there, that yes, we may live here, but our hearts and our minds belong to somebody different, Christ, and they belong somewhere different in his kingdom, and he's clear that we eagerly await for that Savior to appear, which means this is that there's going to be struggle and conflict as we wait for him to come in this broken world, but our allegiance still is to him. Our allegiance is to him. We must display who our God is. Paul writes early in this that we should press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind us, straining for what is ahead of us. We focus on our citizenship in heaven to reveal the beauty of God's transformation and love and grace so that the world would come to see where our true home and our true king is. We are God's kingdom people. And God says that in that kingdom, there is a savior, Jesus Christ, who has the authority and the power to submit all things to himself, meaning this, that all of my brokenness and all of my selfishness can be changed by my Savior. I can't fix myself in this world. I can't fix what's wrong with me. Only Jesus Christ can fix what's wrong in my life. Nobody on earth can do that. He has the power to subject all things to himself. 
And so four things that I want to pull out of Philippians 3 that are good perspective for kingdom people. Four things. Number one is where we live informs how we live. Where we live informs how we live. If you lived in France, you would eat your French fries with mayonnaise. And you may think that's disgusting and I would never do that, but you would. They don't do ketchup over there. You would have big globs of mayonnaise and you would just you would eat it up and you would love it. And you're, somebody's ugh, queasy right now. If I would go around and visit states and say, I'm from Indiana, there are some things that they would assume about me. Number one, that I can hold my own at a euchre table, which I can, right? <laughs> Number two is that somewhere in my recent history, I ate a pork tenderloin sandwich, and then I topped it out with a whole pan of scotcheroos, <laughs> right? They could assume that about you. Somebody just ate a scotcheroo before they came in here today. I know they're... Where I live informs how I live. They're just traits about where I live that inform how I live. And so if we are a kingdom people who say that we live in a different kingdom by our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and we trust in a different king, that we have a very different home and a very different king, the secular world around us should be able to easily assume some things to be true of us. That as we grow in our label as God's kingdom people with citizenships in heaven, there should be a grace and a love and a peace and a patience and a kindness and a goodness and a faithfulness and a self-control that is evident to us. There should be a type of people that, that love the poor, that work towards the fringes of society, that expose injustice, a people that are hospitable, and care for one another, that are not biting to the world and to each other. These should be things that the world should be able to assume about us because of where we live and whom we serve. That isn't an assumption that is wrong. Where we live informs how we live. Number two what we see from Paul is that we should be careful of do what I say, not what I do. There are people that Paul speaks about that proclaim Jesus, but you would never see him in the way that they lived. And so Paul is hitting on this idea of examples and imitation. These are things that we need to do. Like my house, if you go by, it's better because I watch YouTube videos. I'm not that smart or skilled. I just imitate what I watch on YouTube. I'm a Cubs fan because my older brother was a Cubs fan. You will naturally imitate and emulate the people that you esteem and you admire. People who are further down the road from you, and that is completely okay to imitate and emulate. It is wrong to compare and to be jealous. It is good to emulate, but we remember that we don't live for man, we live for God. I'm not emulating them because I want to be like them. I'm emulating them because I see God in them, and I want to be like the God that is in them. And so Paul says, there are people who once walked faithfully, but now they're enemies of the cross, who celebrate the wrong things and, and glory and shame, and be careful not to follow the people who proclaim Christ but don't look anything like him. 
Many of us, if you are old enough, and so sorry for you guys over here specifically, you won't remember, but there was a person named Jim Baker, still around today, Tammy Faye Baker, mascara, you guys get it. There's a show called PTL. Somebody watched it in here regularly, I know it. Praise the Lord, it was short for. Baker talked a good game about Jesus, but as you know, he lived a deplorable life. Deplorable life. Fraud, cover-up stories, in jail. He had a faithful following still, and he still has a faithful following today. We just can't help ourselves from emulating people. We just do. And, and here's the thing. Often, we imitate the wrong people. And so here's what we need to be careful of. As Paul writes in the book of Galatians, we need to be careful about who we listen to. We may remember this from our series in the fruit. Paul writes, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Who are you listening to that misled you in this way? And so here's a great question for us kingdom people to consider. Does the person I follow or emulate demonstrate the Jesus that I read about in Scripture? Does this person look, act, talk like Jesus? Now, are they going to be imperfect? You better believe it. But is there a good flavor of Christ-likeness to this person, specifically if I'm going to emulate them? And that applies to people that I emulate, but it even applies to people that I proclaim and share. The article or quote that I'm about to retweet, share, or post on social media, does that look at all like Jesus? And does the person that is saying that, does their life at all express the Christ-likeness that I see in my scripture? And if I have to squint through my gospel to find some collection of verses that makes me think it's okay to be volatile and hate it, hatred, spew hatred to one another, I'm looking in the wrong space and I'm making excuses for my actions. Do they look like Jesus? And do these words proclaim the Christ that I say I follow and his kingdom in which I say I belong to? The third perspective is that sojourners resist differently than citizens. When we say sojourners, we're talking about people who don't live there. That's not their true home. They're visiting a place. And we are sojourners in this world. This world is not our true home. And as a sojourner, I have a different resistance than one whose home is in the world. You know, we've spent a lot of time in these four weeks talking about being set apart. And we read that specifically in the book, in the letter of 1 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 9. And I want to read that to remind ourselves about what Peter says about God's people. He says, but you are a chosen race, friend. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of fools. You know, it's easy to read these scriptures today and forget that these scriptures emerged in a community of religious minorities living under the hills of powerful nation states. In our Old Testament, our Hebrew scriptures, we've got empires that we lived under like the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Greek and the Persians. In our New Testament, there's the mighty Roman Empire. Much of our biblical literature is drenched with God's people resisting that authority, both from an exterior force that opposed the way of God and from interior poles to make God's people assimilate to that culture. And so resistance has always been a part of the rhythm of God's kingdom people. But the way that we resist and why we resist and how we resist has never changed whether we are the majority in culture or as we have most often been in this world, the minority in culture. And so when we look at scripture, it is full of our people resisting earthly power that seems, if we don't know the full story, to contradict the words of Peter here when he says, for the Lord's sake, submit to earthly authority. The Bible honors people like Shapira and Pua in our Old Testament that disobeyed the Pharaoh who called for all the male children of the slaves of Israel to be killed. They delivered them. They resisted the government. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resisted the government who essentially wanted them to show patriotism to Nebuchadnezzar at his grand parade. Rahab essentially brought down her own government by taking in Israelites to let them live with her. There are scores of examples of resistance in our scripture. Paul is in prison. Why? It's not about the slave girl. Paul is in prison because he keeps talking about Jesus Christ, and they are tired of it. The slave girl is just a good excuse to punish him. So Christian, look, our resistance does not come through defending our God. As if God needs to be defended from the institutions and the government and the authorities that he's put into place. The prophet Daniel reminds us it is God that puts the kings on the throne. It is God that takes the kings off his throne. But so often we think that we're defending God, but all we're doing really is defending what we think that God would want, not what God would really want, what we want. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. 
Vengeance is mine. It's not yours. Our resistance to an earthly authority is one of honor. It's one of honor. A resistance that comes through honoring our God. These examples that we just illuminated here speak to that. We resist by honoring God when our earthly authorities speak opposite and make us walk in disobedience with God's word and God's law. Shapira and Pua disobeyed God because they wanted her and them to kill the slaves of the Israelites. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resisted the government because they wanted them to honor somebody else besides the true God of the cosmos. Paul is put into prison because he won't stop honoring the name of Jesus Christ in public. So listen, this may be unpopular, and it's never good to lead with that. But as kingdom people, we have to question whether our anger and our outrage and our resistance to our government and other authorities is founded in them in charge, causing us to dishonor God, or is it simply because I don't like what they say? Is it simply because I don't feel like I have to? Is it because it's about the freedoms that I think I deserve on this world? But as a citizen of heaven, God's own people Their resistance comes when we're forced to do things that are in direct transgression against God's law and his word, that do not promote loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength, and loving my neighbor as themselves. We honor him in those moments, and we don't listen to the voice of authority. And here's the thing about those who resisted in scripture. Most of them died. And it was through their martyrdom that the church thrived and flourished. Friends, as kingdom people, there are all sorts of things that we have to do that we don't like to do. I am called to honor my mother and father, and I don't like to do that all the time. I am called to love my bride as Christ loved the church. And I don't always love to do that. We're called to be generous in all that we have. And that doesn't always sit well with me. But we do it because of our reverence for God. There are all sorts of things that we do that we don't like. And so, believer, I'm asking us today to consider if the things that we're offended by in this very moment, in this season in the world are because they dishonor God or simply because we don't like them. And if it's because we don't like them, then for the Lord's sake, we are still to submit to them. Fourth point. Everything else is less important when Christ is most important. The reason that Paul can continuously state and Peter obedience to earthly authorities in the letters, the reason that they contend for us to remember our true citizenship and our true king is because they see Christ as the only important thing in this world. Everything else around them is less important. doesn't mean they don't have value. doesn't mean that we shouldn't do them. As God's own people in this world, we can serve our government. 
We can have pride in where we live. We can joy in the freedoms that we have. I've said this before, as Christians, we should be the best citizens of this land. Because if I'm living to be like Jesus, what law am I going to contradict? And if those laws cause me to dishonor God, that's when I resist. We can have pride in our land. And so think about this. How much time have you spent studying the French Constitution? I've done none. Maybe you're in school and you're going, I know it it right now. How much esteem do I have for the Magna Carta? Not, Not a whole lot. I don't live in England. And so if my citizenship is in a different world, under a different king, what is the appropriate level for me to hold an earthly constitution? outside of honoring it, following it, obeying it. But as sojourners, our kingdom and our king isn't here. But if we live in his kingdom, I should never come in con- conflict with his, the, the laws of the land. If I'm looking more like Jesus, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution are just naturally things that my life is going to align with. And so let's be grateful for our liberties. And yes, we, we value the people that protect them for us. We absolutely honor those in charge. We want others to experience what we have here. But let us remember that that's not our priority as much as serving Jesus. When he is most important, everything else is less important. And so look, I know, I know that there are fears everywhere in this. I know that we feel in some ways the government is overstepping. I know that there are lots of concerns about will this pandemic explode again. And some of you may think, man, is this the end of it? Is this the end of it all? So just let me remind you of God's precious words and the words of Jesus who says, you know, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in their barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more precious to him are you than they? Which one of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you so anxious about your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, but yet I tell you that Solomon, in all of his glory, is no more beautiful than they are. And if God clothes the grass of the field that are here today and tomorrow they're thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? How do you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, saying, what shall we eat? What shall I wear? What shall we drink? Or maybe we could say today, hey, don't be anxious today about anything. What is the government going to take next? When will this stop? How much will I have to endure? Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Beloved kingdom people, let us dwell and abide in our true home with our true king. Let us be careful of who we're emulating and imitating. 
Let our resistance only be honorable to our Lord. And let Him be the most important thing in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we are full of questions and fear. There is just a shaking in this world. And honestly, some of us, we're losing our minds. We're anxious and we're fearful and we don't know what to do. And we're saying things that are just glorying in something other than you. And so, Lord, we, you, through your Spirit, just bring steadfastness to our life. Will you bring calmness to us in the midst of the storm that we would just rather focus on you? Lord, it's hard to know what to believe today. But we can believe you. So let all of our thoughts be about trusting you. All of our thoughts about believing that your word is sufficient. And we know, too, that one day the sun will rise again. And all of this will be past, and your goodness will still be there. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.